0: bs'ing with who bs'ing with what bs'ing with sean k bs'ing with who bs'ing with what bs'ing with sean k welcome to bs'ing BSing with sean k on radio free brooklyn i am your host sean nees at BS with people who live outside the box, providing a platform for opinions and perspectives not often heard in the mainstream media. And on this episode, I talked to my friend Alejandro, who I know through this meditation group uh, I've been going to. Well, I've been going to it on Zoom, and I was invited to it in person before the pandemic, but I wasn't able to go as easily because i live in new jersey and it was in queens and you know i could get to queens but getting there on a weekday night wasn't always the easiest but with ali with my with today's guest alejandro sal de Arriaga, that's his full name he is not only a meditation teacher he's also a spanish tutor and also he's a metal musician and he his project is called the arcane insignia and here's a clip of his music any of you fellow metalheads out there have listened to Bathory and if you're a fan of metal and you haven't listened to Bathory, what's wrong with you? You need to listen to Bathory because that's an awesome awesome band and the main member was Korthon, R.I.P. He died in I think it was 2004 he died but in his later work he started out doing more like blackened thrash metal and he did more screaming vocals in his early work but then later on he did and cre- he created actually what, what, what is called Viking Metal which is more of a folk influence kind of metal with Viking themes but Alejandro's singing voice there reminds me a lot of Corthon's singing voice in some of the later Bathory records especially in Nordland Nordland 1 and 2 those were the last two albums he did is one of my favorite metal musicians. I mean, I, I listen to a wide range of stuff, not just metal, but I grew up listening to a lot of metal since so it's just from 13 on. Also, Max Cavalier is another one of my favorite metal musicians, from especially his early work with Sepultura. and I, I, I like the way he, he screams his vocal styles. Like, oh yeah, you know Max Cavalera. But anyway. Alejandro mixes a wide... Range of influences into his music, and also his spirituality influences it. It's he the style is described as acoustic prog rock, and he also they also use percussion, a lot of percussion, viola. There's a lot of classical influence as well, and I know. There's still a lot going on with current events and the protests. And my last two episodes covered current events, but this this was this was an interview I recorded before all of that tra- those events transpired. But I think this is relevant now too because it's, we talk a lot about spirituality and meditation and mental health and this, and I, I think that's i think a lot of people could benefit from hearing this conversation right now so that's why i'm happy to release it and also he has a very interesting story too but i I don't want to give too much away because then i'll just get redundant he's going to say what i say in the interview but without further delay here is the conversation and i hope you enjoy so just tell us about uh, how you got started with uh, music and spirituality, and uh, like maybe if those were if those tied together in any way, like your passion for music and your passion
1: for spirituality. Yeah, I think that I picked up a guitar for the first time when I was about sixteen or seventeen, and. Um, Well, back in my country, in in Colombia, obviously, salsa and merengue and a lot of Latino is the most important thing. But I just had a strong passion for rock and for metal music. And I think that it just provided some sense of space, some sense of distance from the situation. Um, Colombia, in many ways, is a third world country, and it struggles with a lot of poverty and and war. and um, It's a very dangerous country for some people. So for me, it became this way, interestingly enough, not to run away or to distract myself from what was happening, but just to give me a different perspective, like a panoramic perspective from everything that could happen. So I um, taught myself how to play guitar the best that I could. And then when I came uh, to the United States when I was 19, um, I knew that I wanted to be a front man and I wanted to be, I love singing, I wanted to start my own project. So I started, uh, different projects. My, my current project, The Arcane Sydney is my 11th band that I have been in. Um, fortunately it's a little tricky to get a rock or a metal project, uh, going a lot of the times because, you know, some people have drug or alcohol abuse and, um, financial situations and rehearsals and everything. And it's difficult to make things work for many of us. But what I decided to do was, um, I got tired of the New York scene after giving it a shot for, for many years. And I finally just decided, you know what? I'm going to make an acoustic demo and I'm going to take this to Amsterdam. I just want to go to Amsterdam in mean, Europe. The kind of music that I do is, is, is a lot more popular. And I'm just going to, with that demo, I have something to showcase what I can do. And then I can transpose that onto a full metal ensemble with drums and, and electric guitar and everything. So let me just create something like a sample in here and just go over there. And I had the idea of doing that with a, with a violinist and a cellist, um, because I love the strings. So I figured, you know, it can be a really interesting mixture to put together acoustic instruments with like a metal punk approach. And then I heard it. I actually heard it for the first time how that sounded and I, I've never heard something like that before. And I just fell in love with it. Um, so what was supposed to be a stepping stone for something bigger ended up becoming the, the main project that I have ever been in. It was just, it was just very radical. And I think that throughout this time uh, towards, uh, towards the end of finding this, this last project, um, I just started dealing with a lot of, um, personal, very conflictive situations. So I've struggled with depression and anxiety for 17 years now. And it started getting to me in a way where I, I knew that I needed to look for something else. So, interestingly enough, in Colombia, it's basically, um, it's, it's a Catholic country for the most part, right? Yeah. And growing up in that kind of environment, I just started resisting what was being presented to me Um, by the time that I was 16 I couldn't really relate to anything at all and it was around that time when I was 15 or 16 that I I discovered the band Tool and all of these very spiritual very very deep very profound uh, lyrics just started happening I didn't know English very well but I knew in the melodies that something something deeper was being communicated um, that was a big way of how I learned English, was actually translating to lyrics. And it kind of planted a seed of curiosity for me. Um, I had such a negative relationship to religion growing up. And then all of a sudden, it kind of showed me, well, maybe there's something else. So that connection between music and spirituality that Tool had definitely planted a seed that I would try to water during my 20s. Um, when I was 24 working as a Spanish tutor, I, uh, went to the student's house and we had a lesson, we had a two hour lesson and everything. And she had the incense and she had a bunch of things. And I'm not really sure why I asked that. But when I was on my way out, I asked her, um, are you Buddhist by any chance? And she didn't really have any Buddha pictures or anything like that. But that was like the first religion, so to speak, that came out of my mouth Mm -hmm. And I just asked her that, and she just opened her eyes. And without saying a single word, she goes to her bookshelf, and she grabs a book called The Eightfold Path. And she just hands it to me. And she tells me, I'm not sure why, but in this moment, like I just got this urge to give you this book. And that was my first introduction to uh, Theravada uh, Buddhism when I was 24. So that was 10 years ago. And I just started reading about the Four Noble Truths, of the Buddha, it started inspiring my music so much. I, I, I never really wanted to write about romance or uh, political topics. It gave me just something that, that I could relate to on a personal level. Um, so I started studying as as much as I could um, the book, and then I knew that I needed to take things to the next level. I couldn't just keep it to myself. And I, I found a Tibetan uh, Buddhist center by 23rd Street here in New York, and then, uh, you know, so many different layers.
0: <laughs> yeah. So did you find Buddhism more appealing because it was less dogmatic, I guess, than because you said that you, you had kind of uh, a lot of anger towards the religion you were brought up with. Uh, so what what about Buddhism was
1: more appealing? I guess that it wasn't so much what to believe in as much as how to think. You know, so it, it wasn't trying to promote anyone or anything as like this uh, superior being. Um, I think growing up, I really struggled with the concept of original sin. And I, I really couldn't understand how someone that was just born, you know, like, like they just come so flawed, so to speak, into the world. And then, you know, under the grace of God, you can kind of work your way up. And, and Buddhism just reverses that process and just goes, oh, we're actually born perfect. We're actually like just without any baggage. And so instead of looking upwards or just walking our way uphill, it's more about relating to what's already there. So it, it seemed like this inward search rather than outward search, even the praying in in Buddhism doesn't so much come from from a poverty mentality of please give me, of I beg you. But it's more of like being in tune with our capacity to just be happy without things. And as such, then we can just emanate these things so we can find more creative ways to actually relate to them. This became really important for me in music because um, at the beginning my relationship was, you know, I want to tour, I want to, I had the whole rock star uh, dream growing up in my 20s. And I really, I have I began becoming very jaded with, on time with that. Project after project would just fall apart. I, I fell into alcoholism in my mid-20s and whatnot. And so once I got to my 30s, letting go of that desire to do things gave me enough space to be that music has given me much more important things than money throughout my whole life. To expect it to also pay my bills or anything, um, just didn't didn't quite feel like the kind of relationship that I personally wanted to have, okay. you know.
0: So you started enjoying it more once it wasn't your main
1: uh, source of income. Correct, relating to it from from a gratitude perspective rather than what what am I getting out of this in the long run? Um, was shifting from a poverty perspective to a gratitude perspective, and for me that. Exemplifies what Buddhism is all about. I think, um, in my in my personal experience, also coming from a, um, you know, from a very one dimensional um, upbringing, I think that the the word hunger gets very idolized a lot. Like you have to remain hungry, and I, I grew up with that idea that if you're not hungry, then someone is going to beat you to something. Like, the hungrier you are, the more that you can accomplish. And then all of a sudden with Buddhism, it's, well, actually, if you don't live with that sense of starvation, you can find more creative ways to find food. You don't become just focused on one thing, but actually you can see the entire panoramic perspective. It doesn't mean that you give up on your passions, that you lose your ambition, but you can become creative about your ambition. It becomes not about what am I getting out of it, but how am I communicating to a situation? Um, that was being a, a transactional, I want to say. And so I think that Buddhism definitely helped me open myself to a new relationship to music. And now I, I am just the happiest I've ever been with my project. We're just, we're writing new material right now. We're working on our second album. And, and now it, it's, Gotten to the point where I cannot separate these different elements of life. It doesn't become as in, you know, Buddhism first or, or music second or whatever. Everything just becomes one totality. And I think that for me, the Buddhist teachings, the Dharma just allows me to relate to that totality as one whole where all of my life demands the same kind of respect, the same, demands the same kind of devotion and loyalty. So, so I think. I think, for me, I've always thought that an artist's job is not necessarily to embellish uh, reality with the superimposed beauty or meaning, but I actually think that his job is to unearth or to unravel the beauty that things already carry within, like the way that reality actually is. And to have both a spiritual path and sangha, a meditation practice that I can combine with an artistic expression, you know, um, it has just become, he has become a saving grace for me in many ways.
0: And the lyrics are metaphorical, I guess, right? Like, because I read some of them, like uh, "Kingdom of Wolves." Uh, so, like, what is it? Uh, it's like mythological kind of elements you put in there, bit right? The,
1: in the or, song titles and and in the lyrics and everything, I think that I'm a very big fan of symbolism. Um, I'm not the most the most subtle person ever, and I really enjoy. Um, kind of the dramatic elements of life and and whatnot so even even working on our second album and everything I I never want to write something or I can't write something that is just you know I love you or you're mine or something like that I think that there are so many different layers of communication and even even in the way that we that we press ourselves to people we don't quite Come in contact with what our intention is, what we're really trying to communicate. So I think, um, using symbolism and using parables and and metaphors, one shows my influences, my inspirations, like tool and a perfect circle and, and and opeth and a lot of my favorite bands. But it also allows me to respect the audience in a way where I just present something to them that doesn't have to be taken at face value, but then they can construct their own meaning to it. And so it, again, it becomes a communicative perspective. It's not like I am the artist and they are the audience, but we can work together in creating a meaning for you.
0: Yeah.
1: For-
0: like it could mean something totally different for someone else that he didn't expect to be put your art Correct. there. Yeah. What were... The main challenges with putting that album together because i saw you were working on it a couple years before you released it
1: indeed um figuring out how to have a metal band that didn't really have metal members but it was just with viola and cello and things like that it was very difficult finding the people that had had the interest or the investment In something like this, most classical or orchestral uh, performers are more uh, higher guns, or they are more geared towards the classical world. So when I start presenting, you know, we're going to have a screening on some of the songs, we're going to have tremolo, and we're going to have all of these things. A lot of people would see it as an interesting challenge, and, and many classical performers obviously can have a strong appreciation for, for rock and for metal. But I think that finding someone that wanted to be in a band, not necessarily just hired or something like that, but create a rock band while playing the viola or the cello or something like that was very difficult. Um, at the beginning of the project, also in the first few years, I was still getting out of my relationship to alcohol. And so, I um, I I was a very difficult person to work with, you know, and, and I completely admit that I, I ruined our, our relationships with some of the first musicians that I had. It taught me a lot about what were my intentions back then with the project. I would suffocate the situation with these expectations of grandeur, these delusions of, of making it, whatever that word means nowadays, and... Um, Eventually trying to release some of the pressure and just tuning into the experience finally gave me an opportunity to, to fulfill, to finish this album and, and to do a lot of those things. So I think that everything from psychological and personal conflicts to also um, social problems with some other people derailed the process for sure. Yeah.
0: I was just thinking a lot of people drink alcohol because it gets rid of your inhibitions. So maybe in some ways, you're, I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on the shadow. like It almost kind of brings your shadow out, like kind of all your repressed like negative like thought inside of yourself
1: and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I Well, I think that the people that can hold a, a social relationship to alcohol is really beautiful. I think that letting go of some of that steam can become a very um skillful way of dealing with pressure um i i have an addictive personality by nature it's not just to alcohol it's to a lot of things and losing your inhibitions as, as you were um, beautifully explaining that becomes a sort of an, an excuse to drink but then eventually we just lose our grip on why are we even doing it and now it just becomes a habit it just becomes something that we don't even think it becomes a part of our life like showering or like eating or whatever um alcohol is insidious in many ways um at least for me it was because it it's tricky to pinpoint that there's a problem i think that with some other drugs when when um I, I had a stronger connection in my early 20s to SSRIs and opioids and antidepressants. I think that you can sort of just point at that and it's like, oh, this is getting our head very quickly. Whereas alcohol is more like things are just smooth. There's not necessarily a problem. You're just drinking with your friends and all of your friends are doing it. So obviously they're not wrong. So you're not wrong. Um, and, and yeah, it is, it is started clouding. Um, a lot of things, um, for someone with social anxiety, like myself, you know, wanting to sing, but then finding yourself in front of an audience and then actually just with the spotlight on top of you and everything. Well, you know, that's what whiskey is for. All of a sudden you, you become this calm and composed person. Um, I think it was very difficult for me to actually see how much of a crutch was for me and how little I was relating to the music. It just became a very me, a very ego kind of perspective. Um, So so I think that finally I'm coming to terms with the fact that, okay, there's a problem. And you know, this this doesn't necessarily mean that I'm broken or anything, but perhaps I can try to integrate this into my practice. I think that for a lot of people, Buddhism is like this very peaceful, very calm, to tranquilize your mind kind of situation. But that's, that's. I don't think that that's what meditation has been for for me. Um, it has actually helped me see. It, it's more about developing a view of what's actually happening. And then I think that for me, it's a lot easier to relate to what I can see. It doesn't mean ignore or pretend that the world is just about catching a break and breathing and peace and everything like that, but just working with the negative dynamics as well. And it's sort of, well, where does this come from? Um, So it's, it's more like glasses to me rather than a tranquilizer. It's, it's more a capacity to see the whole perspective. And then obviously just the natural progression is that just comes out in your art. So it's the
0: the whole perspective you talk about. Is that like, Seeing, seeing the world not just through your own eyes, but like trying to seeing it through other people's perspective.
1: Well. Right, like the whole, the whole view beyond our our limited kind of capacity to just understand what, what we want to see in something. Right, and it's really interesting because for me, you know, with most of my friends and everything, I tend to have different hats, and so to my students, I'm the Spanish tutor. I'm the, I'm the Latino like person that does this, and with my meditation class, I'm like this Buddhist facilitator and and things like that. With some people, I'm like the rock metal musician. And for me, I think that I started to develop a genuine relationship to my life when I started to see the connection and the way that they all blend together. Because at the end of the day, I feel that my life, in a way, revolves around communication, whether that's as a language tutor or music or meditation or anything, but everything is communication. And I think that has happened in my relationship with some of my friends. Uh, just to tell a, a, a quick story, I had this friend at meditation that he had his heart broken um, about a couple of years ago. He was very much in love with this person that he was talking to. And one day he finally decides to open his heart and to say, I love you. And his partner, his his girlfriend just said, thank you. And immediately he lost it. And he just went, how could you say something like that? Like, I just opened my heart in front of you. And instead of saying, I love you, like you you say, thanks and everything. And obviously she got really scared and she broke up with him the next day. He came to me and he started sharing this, this story. And I think that that was one of those moments when the depth of communication really came to me because the way that he was presenting the scenario He made it seem as if he made a statement of his emotions and it wasn't reciprocated or it was ignored. But the way that I see that kind of situation is that he asked a question and I think that he wanted an answer, a particular answer to that question. And when he didn't get the answer, because I think that a lot of us feel uncomfortable with cliffhangers, I think that when we ask a question, when there's that question mark at the end, we want a response. When he didn't get yeah. that kind of response, then he reacted. But to me, a statement to me a statement is when you just say something and, and you don't get any feedback and you're still okay. If you, for example, say freedom, you don't need someone to say, yes, you're free. You don't need any kind of feedback. If you talk to your cat or something like that, even if you don't get any feedback, that becomes a statement. But I think that a lot of of the people that I know, and absolutely myself included, we don't understand exactly what asking a question or, or what our intentions are. So then rationalizing and justifying our emotions by saying, I actually put myself out there, and I was honest, and I did all of these things, instead of admitting I had these expectations, and I asked this question, and I didn't get the answer that I wanted. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person, but... You know, this is the way that it is. And I, I I think that there when we lose that shame to say, I want attention, I want validation, I want connection, and we really admit this kind of a scenarios, we have a really beautiful relationship with ourselves with time. And then I think we can relate to other people in that same kind of openness and spaciousness. So that element of communication just becomes very alive for me. Again, the symbolism of things, where when we say something, when we say, how are you? What's the intention? What are we trying actually to communicate behind this point? Um, so yeah, I think, I think that all of these details, whether as a language tutor or as a musician or as a meditation instructor, I think that they all eventually blend, blend together until it just becomes, let's communicate in an equal way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, de- I definitely get what you're talking about, like like communicating and looking for some kind of. Answer for someone because, like, uh, that's definitely something I've fallen into a lot is like looking for like a validation when I say something rather than just saying the idea and putting it out there and seeing like how the person will respond and accepting whatever that response is. So, I don't know, I guess it takes a lot of practice
1: to be able to do that. Absolutely. And when we don't see it as a misunderstanding or don't um, accept or honor our part in the communication. I think that um, it can cause us a lot of harm because then we solidify our point of view and then when we see a question that we might make as a statement, then we simply come back into ourselves and, and in a certain way see ourselves as the victims, as the ones that were righteous. Um, not to say that, you know, our point isn't valid, but I do think that when we honor and accept the fact that that we have insecurities or that... Um, in a certain way, we're looking for a particular kind of feedback, it can plant a seed of understanding, and it can plant a seed of genuinely communicating our intentions. So I think that, you know, being a language tutor for the better part of 11 years and, and practicing the Dharma for 10 years has really made me come in contact or touch base with um, starting from my intentions first, and then from there trying to honor my emotions and the emotions of the other person. Um, hopefully to create more skillful communication and I think that not to see that as like a problem as much as what is that trying to communicate to me like that emotion is just asking for some form of attention it's asking for some form of acknowledgement and obviously what what alcohol did for me is kind of ignored it was like a crying child and then I like I don't want to hear it so I can just put on my headphones you know um, but I think that then meditation again and, and a lot of the of, of the teachers that really touch me the, the most profoundly, they say your meditation is completed, you cry a lot. Your meditation. That means that you're in the right track for doing this. And it's a balance. I think that this can easily lead to self deprecation and feeling so self blame. A lot of us really don't know how to handle the, the strength of these energies, like the dynamic of them. But I think that meditation kind of just brings us back to a place of just viewing the perspective first, not pacifying, not changing or eliminating or even, you know, anything more than just seeing what's happening. If I talk to someone and if I ask a question and I am feeling insecure and I am feeling afraid and everything, that's a part of my humanity. I don't need to justify or rationalize this. By saying no, like I'm, I'm, I'm in the right or like the situation, that's fine, you know, w- whatever I felt, whatever kind of anger or something, it's okay. And if I resist that, and if there is like, you know, no, like I, I have to be this kind of person, make peace with the resistance as well. Like that's just another player. If I can't make peace with just accepting my insecurities, make peace with the fact that I can't make peace with them. There are just constantly just more and more layers to this situation. And so Buddhism just presents this way. Um, I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to anything. You know, I feel that a lot of people can get something beautiful from it. If somebody tells me, you know, I'm Hindu, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, I'm atheist, I'm Satanist, it really doesn't matter if they don't try to force those beliefs on someone and if it doesn't hurt others, It just helps you open your mind to something else then. That's okay. And I think that now in my thirties, I can, I can look back in hindsight and I can explore, re-explore Catholicism from an outside perspective. And now that it's not being shoved down my throat, like forced upon me, it has tremendously beautiful teachings. It has just a lot of really beautiful, very artistic, extremely artistic approaches to a lot of things. But when it's taken at face value, as in you have to do this, situation rather than more of clues or suggestions right um it can become very claustrophobic
0: and i feel like that's a common thing now like being people who are forceful with the beliefs are also only they only want to like talk to people that think exactly like them like but uh, but i guess there is a lot that's can happen through just you know opening your mind that Different things like that, but I guess gets hard if it's being forced down your throat, like
1: you said. Absolutely, inspiring someone to your beliefs rather than forcing someone to see uh, your beliefs. I think, I think, yeah, I think that is that is for me something that can happen in any in any religion. Actually, I don't I don't think that this is particular to to Judaism, uh, Catholicism, Christianity, or any of these things. I've, I've seen it in Buddhism. I've seen it in a lot of Eastern religions that are supposed to be more spiritual. You know, um, there was this, um, I believe he was, he was from Sri Lanka. There, there was this, this rapper that, uh, I remember seeing an, an interview, this local rapper that he, he was ordained as a Buddhist monk. I think it was in a Theravada, uh, temple when, when he was a child and he was sexually abused by many of the monks, not just one but actually multiple of the buddhist monks at the temple and so he he obviously grew very resentful towards Buddhism growing up and then once he got away from the buddhist life and everything he revisited it when he was an adult and he saw just a lot of tremendous teaching so when he was interviewed and when he was asked um how do you feel about about buddhism or like you know everybody expects it to be such a peaceful It's a skillful religion. And you went through that experience. uh, what did you think? And he said, Buddhism is perfect. Buddhists are not. And me that perfectly captures what any religion is like. I think, I think any system of belief could be called perfect if it just opens your mind to other things. That doesn't mean that the people that practice it are going to be, um, so yeah, I think I think just holding an open-minded relationship to things at the end of the day should be the the priority for many of us at least for me it is.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like how, you know, they assign you to read books in school and then it's more like oh, I have to read this book. But then later on you might choose to read that book on your own and you'll comprehend more and actually appreciate it.
1: And then here,
0: that's That's happened absolutely. with me. A lot. Yeah, definitely. So what are your plans uh, going forward with uh, meditation and music? Like, what are your what are your next
1: uh, plans? I guess the next step, as far as the Arcane Insignia goes, is we recently uh, found a third member, a new challenge. and she's absolutely wonderful. So we are trying to bring the ideas that we have for the second album with our previous member, and everything that we wrote, we're trying to present it over to her. Write some of the material, and then hopefully by the time the pandemic uh, slows down, we can go into the studio and record the second album. Um, so d- definitely the songwriting process and the, the revisiting process is kind of our main level of focus. We go to brainstorm sessions over uh, Zoom every Sunday and just ex- exchanging uh, music sheets and everything. So that definitely, and, and as far as my personal relationship to music goes. Just keep playing my guitar whenever I feel depressed. It's a tremendous tremendous, tremendously healing experience on a personal level now that I'm spending so much time at home doing it for me. For myself. Right? right. That that just becomes a, a really beautiful experience. And so I will have to say that that those are my friends with the Arcane Insignia as far as the Um, My role, um, I'm facilitating this meditation group every Thursday, Diamond Heart, um, with this great teacher, Joseph Mauricio. Uh, He's been teaching for 30 years meditation. And we really wanted, when we came together and and we were there and, and came up with the idea for this group, we really wanted to present the Tibetan Buddhist teachings to people because you can find a lot of Zen Places or a lot of, you know, Hinayana or Saravana places in New York and around the United States. But the Tibetan tradition holds a lot of the deeper teachings of the Buddha, um, the secret teachings of the third wheel of Dharma. And, and it's a bit more, it, it demands a bit more of an initiation. So a lot of Tibetan places, unless you receive some kind of empowerment by qualified gurus and the like, they will not allow you to join them because some of the teachings are just really particular. Um so then Joe and I started talking. Well the essence of these teachings is not this esoteric, like very spiritual, you know, kind of situation. But a lot of this essence is how to relate to our everyday lives, how to relate to making a cup of coffee, or like you know, having a, a an upsetting phone call with someone. And the essence, the depth of this very profound teachings at the end of the day, it's about how to develop a genuine relationship to our lives. So how can we maintain that level of devotion, that level of, of respect for the deeper teachings, but bring that essence and then present it in an open way to the world at large. And so we just decided we're, we're a very Tibetan. Um, Buddhist group were very devoted to Padma Sambhava, to the second Buddha. We mentioned, uh, Green Tara. We mentioned a lot of the deities about it. And then incorporate that element of psychology, that element of our personal experience. And then just infuse everything so that nothing feels above or higher. But it just becomes a bigger way of relating to situations, to colors, to, to relationships, to, to our jobs and the like. So I think that right now as we're doing the virtual meetings every Thursday night and we can reach um, an an audience outside of New York, which is beautiful. We're we're seeing the pros and the cons of the situation. We're trying to um, build enough momentum so that once we can meet in person and once some of the meditation places start opening, um, we can find the right space so that we can all just meet in person and, and bring that momentum that is no calling, that we've, we've been pushing for the past few months onto an in- in-person meeting, um, keep holding weekly gatherings and hopefully continue growing the teachings to expand the Dharma, the Tibetan Dharma uh, to New York, make it accessible and at the same time very respectful and very devoted and very loving um, for everyone. I think that those would be some of the priorities so far.
0: Yeah, I've, uh, I've been coming to the Diamond Hearts recently. I, I've known Joe a while because I knew him through Stark Reality Open Mic, where he did a lot of stand-up and spoken word there. And I, I've done uh, spoken word there. I also did like a, a special podcast on that open mic and wrote a feature article on it and did like a mini-documentary on it. Um, and he told me about this meditation group when I interviewed him. And at the time, I was in New Jersey. I'm still in New Jersey, and it wasn't as easy for me to get to Queens on Thursday nights. But now, since the pandemic, I've been going through Zoom, and I've, I've found it useful uh, as a way to you know, practice meditation with a group and calm myself. And we also met at the Thich Han group that uh, Wake Up. I met you before that, and then I met you again at Joe's group.
1: Indeed, it's it's been a very auspicious uh, circumstances. Obviously, there's a lot of parallels between art and uh, many spiritual paths and the Dharma. So, um, you know, it uh, I can't really call it a coincidence. I think it's been wonderful. Uh, wake up is still prospering on Friday nights. They're also doing the Zoom thing. Um, but yeah, we're we're very happy to continue our virtual gatherings on Diamond Heart on Thursday nights, and it's always wonderful to have you there. So. I think I think it's been wonderful circumstances coming together, you know.
0: Actually, I've read about uh, Zen Buddhism, but Tibetan Buddhism, not as much. So I don't know if there's like similarities, but I'll have to also like read more about Tibetan
1: Buddhism as well. Yeah, yeah. There's from the from the three vehicles of of the Dharma, where we start with the Hinayana, which is known as the narrow vehicle, and this is what discipline and the four noble truths. And uh, a lot of the basic Buddhist tenets come from. And then you go into the Mahayana, and the Zen tradition. Um, I also met you at the Thich Nhat Hanh group, Wake Up, as well, oh, yeah. um, which is very based on compassion and relating to other people, bringing those Hinayana teachings, those first vehicle teachings, onto the world, like, at large, and to our communities. And then what Joe and I are trying to do with Diamond Heart, which is the bash, Regina, or the third vehicle, the indestructible vehicle teachings, which is how to relate to the dynamics or the energies that in, that motivate or that propel a lot of these um, systems of thought and systems of, of relationship, right? If we're compassionate towards someone, where does that compassion come from? What's the motivation? What's the impulse? What's the heartbeat of that? And how can we channel that and just implement it in different moments and modules of our lives. So, so that sense of intention or intentionality to say it better. Um, that's what we're trying to do. And, and obviously there's a lot of visualizations and a lot of, again, symbolism in order to really tune into these things. For some people, it's, um, it can lose a lot of people because, you know, the relationship to chakras and to your inner, Energies and everything really get into play in in the Tibetan traditions. So it's a bit more colorful, I want to say, than than the other traditions of just meditate for thirty minutes, read this book about compassion, be a good person. And in Tibetan Buddhism, is like, where does that source of inspiration come from? Where do we even find the desire to do these things? But where, what's what's the source of these things, and really tap into them? Right.
0: So it's more about like intro introspection. So you're saying finding the root of why why you have all these Absolutely. emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and
1: to yeah. see beyond like this body or name. When we find that root, we find our connection to the earth, find our connection to to just everything. Right? That. That sense of connection to the yeah. universe to a deeper perspective than us. When, when we find the root within us, it just keeps going deeper and it keeps going beyond our body, beyond our thoughts, beyond our emotions, beyond our heartbreaks and fight and anger. And just, it just keeps going until it touches every possible corner of, of the earth and beyond. And, and that is something that we really are trying to incorporate together.
0: Any final thoughts you'd like to say?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, for anyone interested in um, checking out a combination of progressive rock mixed with metal, um, but done with classical instruments with cello, viola, and acoustic guitar, uh, again, my project is called The Arcane Insignia. You guys can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever streaming or downloading uh, platform that you guys have. Um, you know, if you're interested in a combination of a spirituality and, and some rock and, and classical music, uh, please check us out. Our debut album, A Flawed Design, is, is out on every platform. Um, if you're interested in being a part of, um, a community that explores spirituality and psychology in a very open way with themes of the Dharma and of Tibetan Buddhism, but completely open. To everyone, uh, the group that I help facilitate is called Diamond Heart. You guys can find us on uh, Facebook. We also have a website, uh, Diamond Heart NYC and you're always welcome. It's donation based. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. you can just drop by, uh, touch base with a community of, of people also, uh, sharing their vulnerability and their communication with, it, with one another. Uh, we meet on Zoom, and we have all the information on our links. And uh, lastly, I'm on all of these pages. You can find me with Alejandro, and I'm also a private language tutor. I teach Spanish, so if you're interested in uh, learning you know, a new language and um, expanding your sp- Spanish through um, Skype lessons or anything, you can always reach out to me and we can figure something out. So... Uh, uh, I guess that's it, and uh, thank you, Sean, for giving me an opportunity to share in, in this platform.
0: No problem. Thank you again for coming on. This was uh, this was a good chat. So hopefully the the listeners find it as insightful as uh, it was for me. So and hopefully for you too. So.
1: Cheers, brother. Absolutely. Be blessed. Yeah. And I hope to see you more often on Thursdays.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try to go each week. Like that will be beautiful,
1: brother. You always bring a wonderful energy. Always happy to see you.
0: You have been listening to BSing with Sean K. on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Sean Nice, and that was my conversation with Alejandro Zaur Derriaga. And he is not only a meditation teacher, he is also the main member of the Arcane Insignia, which is a Prague metal band. And their album, which was 15 years in the making, is now on Bandcamp. I'll post a link to his Bandcamp in the description of this episode. I definitely enjoyed the different topics we got into. I thought it was interesting what he said about alcoholism and his struggle with that. You know, when he got out of that, he found meditation to be something that could fill that void that alcohol was filling before and I never had that same problem with alcoholism but I do remember when I went out to bars or got drunk and when I'd go out to bars and get drunk or get wasted or whatever there was usually a feeling of self loathing behind it and it was about escaping myself and not being confident with how I interacted naturally or feeling like I couldn't connect with people and feeling disconnected and I thought that by getting drunk or wasted I'd be more connected and when I did it, it was 99% of the time when I did it I felt less connected and you know I'm not totally strange you also like have a beer and stuff but I realized that kind of escaping myself was something I needed to get away from because it was it had a negative motivation behind it, and I've developed a better relationship with myself. I've become more confident, and he, Alejandro talked about you know how meditation helped get him away from alcoholism, and it's helped me develop a better relationship with myself too. And I keep going to that back to that tick not. Han book but he, he he in it, The Art of Communication he he says that if if you are, have a feeling that you want to just go and do something and you don't know what to do and you're feeling restless just sit for a minute and do nothing and just kind of be with that and I think that that can be applied to any kind of short-term gratification, you know, any kind of self-indulgence of, like, alcohol or overeating or anything that can be harmful in excess. And I think, you know, if you want to have that drink, you want to eat that extra pie, you want to do something else that is kind of counterproductive if you just kind of sit and be with your thoughts, you can learn to just watch, all right, what is it that's lacking in me that makes me want to do this? What is it I'm repressing? What am I repressing right now? Because as he talked about in the thing, it's also, we we don't always want to face our feelings. What, 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 what is the root of our insecurities? What are our insecurities? And, Especially for males, it's we kind of have this thing because I, I I have a bit of it. I've dealt with it, having a bit of it too. You know this whole, you know, to, to be manly or masculine, you can't show that you have insecurities or talk about something that's really hurting you, or and like it, like it's it's almost shame. That I think more. I, th- I think. Girls, you know women struggle with it too but I think even more so for, for guys um, And I think if we can learn to accept that you know we have insecurities, we're not always this super confident person it can help us get more to where we want to be. the more we accept where we are and the more we accept where, where who we are, the more we can move towards becoming who we want to be and getting where we want to be and otherwise you're either living in the future dreaming about what your life could be and how it isn't where you want it to be yet or who you want to be and that you want to be this confident person that doesn't get insecure or whatever and, or, and, or if you're looking into the past you're thinking, oh I did this wrong, I did that, look where I am, if I hadn't done that, this is where I'd be, oh, why am I here? But if you're just in the present, and you're accepting what is, you can see where to move from there. If you accept yourself as you are, you can more move more towards where you want to be. But I'm no Zen master Alan Watts 2.0. I'm just saying this more to myself than anybody, actually. I'm trying to train myself to do this. But any of you listening, I think that's the way to go, too. But I really should practice my own advice more. I'm sure Alan Watts had a lot of insecurities and all that, too. Probably Buddha. Well, I guess he achieved enlightenment, so I guess he got beyond his thoughts and everything. Anyway... I really enjoyed that conversation and I know this is a hard time for everybody, like I said. I know that it's good to, I think mental health is very important, I think mindfulness is very important during a time like this and I think on the positive side despite all the hardships that people around the world are facing and all the injustices that people are starting to focus on with the protests and everything, I think there's also people coming together and i don't think the media is showing a lot of that a lot of people i think there's a lot of common ground and there's a lot of change being made and i think people are being people even though we're in social isolation i think people are learning to empathize with each other more and i remember this new age thing talking about how in 2012 there'd be this kind of shift and everybody's consciousness would merge together and we'd be more aware of how we're all one and all that and Now I'm thinking, maybe this is the year where that's happening, if there is a year where that's happening. I do think the world is resetting itself, and I think we're coming to better understandings of each other, and I think if we turn off our TV and go off social media and just talk to one another, we'll see that there's more common ground than we're led to believe. And I think by nature, most people are good at heart, and most people have good intentions. And I think if we could communicate with another, communicate with one another and empathize to get both of each other's needs met, we can go a long way. And before we wrap up, I do have some important announcements to make regarding Radio Free Brooklyn. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of our computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for a iPhone or Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. COVID-19 Fundraising. Friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now and radio free brooklyn is no exception we want you to have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our host staff and the community at large we've closed both our studios and canceled live events but our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting and pre-recording from their home studios or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of their past shows. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you might be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way toward helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org donate there you'll find some great t-shirts mugs and other swag that we'd like to send you to say thanks you can also use your phone to text rfb give five that's the number five to 44321 it only takes a moment and you'll be able to see your digital wallet for your donation Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com slash smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to RFB and it will cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Wish all our listeners health and happiness as we weather this storm together. Thank you so much for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps this station going. and Thank you for listening to bsing with sean k on radio free brooklyn i air every monday 1 a.m to 2 a.m that's technically like a late sunday night and then i'm on spotify itunes seanese.com and on radiofreebrooklyn.com and the radio free brooklyn mobile app that's about it for tonight's episode i'll catch you on the next one